We're going to be in uh, Luke chapter 9 this morning. If you want to, to uh, follow along, we're going to take all of our, our points out of Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible or if you prefer, as always, the scriptures are going to be right up here on the screen. All right, in the fall of 1985, for 10 consecutive weeks at 9.35 a.m. on a Friday the student body of Greenville High School would assemble in the main gym. And the band would be in there, and they would be playing, and the cheerleaders would be in there, and they would be cheering, and the drill team was in there, and they would be drilling. Pep squad was pepping, and the student body was just happy to be out of second period. But when all of this energy and noise hit its crescendo, the doors on the floor of the gym would fly open. They would start the GHS fight song and in would walk the 35 guys that made up the, the Greenville Lion fighting football team. We would walk in and we would stand there and they'd sing the, the school song. There'd be skits. There, the cheerleaders would lead cheers. And then the, the senior pastor would senior pastor, the head coach, <laughs> you see where my brain is, <laughs> the head coach would, would get up and he would give this, this speech about how hard we had worked all week. He would talk about how, how tough we were because we had overcome adversity. And he would talk about how hungry we were for a win. And how we were going to leave it all out on the field on Friday night. Now this happened every Friday morning for 10 weeks. Then every Friday night for 10 weeks, we lost the football game. <laughs> it wasn't that we didn't work hard. It wasn't that we weren't hungry for a victory. It wasn't that, that uh, um, we just didn't want to do right for our coach. It wasn't that we had a bad team. The problem was there was a disconnect between his vision, his game plan, and our ability to put it into action. I mean, we played the games. We, we had the heart. We wanted to win. But there was a disconnect there. And you know what? A lot of churches can be like the 1985-86 Greenville Lion football team. They may understand the what. You know, our what may be, hey, we need to get some people saved. Our what may be, uh, we need to do some discipleship. But there's a disconnect between the what and the how. So we're in a lesson series called Decisions That Will Change Your Life. And uh, somebody told me this morning it's already been confusing because the first one was go and the second one was stay. <laughs> but this one this morning is connect. Connect. And the question kind of came up in my heart, you know, if I'm going to spend uh, a, a whole lesson just talking about connection, what am I asking you to connect with? If, if you're a guest with us here this morning, you're, you're going to hear some behind the scenes type of stuff. Thank you for being here. I'm not saying that you're not going to hear anything that might not minister to you, but we're going to talk a lot about NCC stuff this morning, okay? 
So, um, you know, just because we have a building, just because we have a pastor, doesn't make us a successful church. Any more than, than us having shoulder pads and a football made us a successful football team. There has to be, be more than that. You know, we played the games. We ran the plays. We scored some points, but we never reached the ultimate goal of winning the game. And you know that we can sing some songs, we can preach a message, and some people can get ministered to, but how do we know that we're winning? How do we know that we're winning? There has to be a connection between the plan, the vision that the Lord is giving us and those that we're asking to help us put it into practice. In Habakkuk 2, verse 2, it says, The Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Write the vision and make it plain. This morning I want to show you three things that must be plain if we're going to connect with God's vision for NCC. Did you find Luke? Luke 9. Go all the way down to the, to the end of the chapter there. And we're going to start in verse 57. And it reads, As they were walking along, someone came to Jesus. I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. So here's the first thing that we have to connect with. And this one is a little bit more personal. As we go along, we're going to talk more of, of, about corporately. But this one is personal. We've got to connect with the cost. Jesus said there was a cost. He was paying a cost to be who God had created him to be, to fulfill his ministry. He was saying, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Are you willing to pay that cost to follow me? In Luke 14, 28, Jesus speaking said, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's even enough money to finish it? If we're truly going to follow God, and I know we don't like to hear this in, in our American society, but if we're truly going to follow God, if we're truly going to be who God has called us to be, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something. When I first got saved, I was 20 years old, I just got saved. None of my friends knew Jesus. None of my friends were going to church. And my thought is, I'm going to be the cool saved person. I'm going to still go to all the parties. Because, you know, they were happening Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and we were doing on Mondays after a while. So we were, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Oh, good Lord, I'm glad I got saved. We'd have been doing it all week long. But I was going to be that person, you know, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to show them you can, you can follow Jesus, and you don't have to party. You're going to, well, it didn't work. 
It didn't work. Before the night was over, I was doing some of the same old things I was doing. And then I would always be upset. Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? This is not who I want to be. This is not who I want to be. So the cost for me was a time of separation. The cost for me was a time to, to be alone. It was just me and Jesus for a while. When everybody else was out partying on Friday night, it was just me and my Bible. That's when I first started reading the Word for myself. That's when I first started connecting with the Word for myself. I didn't know anything. I'd grown up in church, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know that you couldn't read past Genesis and truly understand what they were talking about. I tried to read some of Paul's Paul's uh, letters to the church, it just didn't make any sense. So I read the Gospels over and over and over and over. And although it was a lonely time, because I'm a social person, it was such a beneficial time. I don't, if I had not given God that time, I don't know if I would have truly gone for the ministry that God was calling me into. I don't know if I would have left college and gone to a Bible school. I don't know if I'd have done what God had told me to do, but I was willing to pay the cost there. Sometimes the cost can be my, my finely crafted plans for me. I had no intention of going into ministry. I was going into advertising. I had an uncle that owned an advertising agency in Houston. All I had to do was graduate, and I had a job. But the cost of following God was the cost of my plans. And sometimes God will take those plans, and he'll just put them on the shelf for a while. He's not saying it's bad. He's not saying it's wrong, but he's saying, chase me. Come after me. And just about the time you're like, well, you know, I've just given up on all that. He'll pull it back off the shelf and go, hey, you remember this? This is who you are. This is what I've called you to do. But I needed you to connect with me first. Usually the highest, the highest cost that we have to pay is perseverance. Because we'll, we'll do a little Jesus something. We'll go to church for a while. We'll do this until somebody hurts my feelings or something happens that I need to persevere through. And then I give up. So the cost sometime of truly connecting with God is perseverance. In 2009, a 68-year-old lady passed the written portion of her driver's test with the uh, minimal score of 60. And she did this on her 950th time. It had taken her over four years and over $4,000 of application fees just to pass the test. Dear God, I don't even want to know what happened with the driving part of it. Sometimes perseverance just means I got to get up once, and that's okay. 
But sometimes we got to pay the cost of perseverance because I keep getting knocked down. And I've got to be willing to fail or be knocked down 949 times, but be willing to get up on that 950th time. It's going to cost us to pursue Jesus. Back in Luke, verse 59 says, and he said to another person, Jesus speaking, he said to another person, come and follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. So here's the next thing that we need to connect with. We need to connect with the mission. Because Jesus said, follow me, and the guy said, I will follow you, but let me do this first. And Jesus said, no, you've only got one mission. There's only one mission. Go preach. Go preach the gospel. You know, uh, Ray Kroc was a man who, who took the idea of, of McDonald's, and he's the one that, that created the franchises and, and turned it into this worldwide thing that, that we see today. And Ray Kroc said right before he died, Uh, He said, if I had a brick for every time that I repeated the phrase, quality, service, cleanliness, and value, I think I'd probably be able to uh, build a bridge across the Atlantic Ocean. Now, that sounds great, but you know what? The year that Ray Kroc died, 1984, was the year that I went to work for McDonald's as a 16-year-old high school sophomore. And you know what I never heard? Anything about quality, service, cleanliness, or value. Now, he may have uh, you know, sown this vision to, to all of the upper echelon of people, but if it doesn't get down to that lowly fry cook, there's not going to be some quality and cleanliness. I promise you that. So just because I could point at Pastor Roger or Pastor Sam or some of the leadership and say, tell me, tell me what the vision of the church is. Tell me what the mission of the church is. Just because they could quote it doesn't mean that it's gotten down to the fry cooks. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not saying anybody's lower than anybody else around here because that's not the way that we do things. We're on, we're on a level playing field. But the vision has got to go throughout everybody. We all have to connect with the mission. So here we go. The mission of NCC is to help people connect with God, connect with others, and create community by being saved, discipled, and serving. But you know, even if we changed up the way that we say that, it's always the mission is always going to be the same. The mission is to evangelize, disciple, and serve. That is who we are, and that is what we do. But you know, that's not dissimilar from a lot of other churches. It's not. And why is that? Because it can be easier to duplicate than it can be to incarnate, create something new. But if there's not a difference in what we do, if if there's not a uniqueness about who we are, because churches are unique, Each church is unique. We don't need to be doing the exact same thing the exact same way as the church down the street. Because if we do, we're just redundant and we may not be necessary. 
There's 400 churches in, in the Tyler area. 400 churches in the Tyler area. And each one of them should have a unique way of expressing Jesus. We may sing some of the same songs. We may do some of the same things. But we do it differently because we're unique. So what makes us unique? This is what makes us unique. Just, I've just got three things down here that make us unique. There may be more than that. But these are the three that you're going to get right now. What makes us unique? A heart for overlooked people. A heart for overlooked people. We say around here, come as you are. And they do. And that's okay. We used to have these little cards that that would say, um, no matter what your story is, you're welcome here. Because that's who we are. We're always looking for that overlooked, underserved person. A friend of mine was uh, having a conversation. A friend of mine used to pastor here in East Texas. He's no longer here. But uh, he was having a conversation with a a pastor who who is also here in East Texas. And they were just talking about the the callings of, of the individual churches. And this man, this pastor, told my friend... And I didn't hear it, so I may be reading some attitude into it. But it just sounded a little snarky to me. He said, yeah, we're not, we're not really called to, you know, to, to deal with people's stuff. He said, yeah, we, 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 re- we really don't aim for the down and outers. He said, we're called to Tyler's elite. I want you to look to the left and look to the right. You ain't looking at Tyler's Elite. So thank you for being the overlooked people so we can have a church. Pastor Sam used to to say this to me all the time. The Lord had spoken to him. And he said that if we will pursue those who no one else wants, he will give us those that everyone is pursuing. We want those that nobody else wants. We want those that, that would not be welcome anyplace else. We want those that people look down on and say, why are you even at a church? Why are you trying to come to a church? You don't belong in a church. That's the ones that we want. You know, I got, I got the, the wonderful opportunity last night to, to sit in on an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Did you know that at your church on Tuesday night, on Thursday night, and on Saturday night, there is an AA group that meets here. And I got to sit in on it last night. And I'm looking around and I'm listening, in, uh, listening to these people tell their stories and give their testimonies of how they're getting free and how they're pursuing God. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, this is our people. <laughs> these are our people. There was about 30 people in, in that room and I would have snatched them all up and put them in here. Because that are, that's the overlooked people that think that they don't even belong in church, yet they were having church. So we're going to pursue those that no one else wants. And to fulfill that, that calling, we really believe and we are committed to seeing the five ministry gifts in operation. And this does make us unique. Because a lot of churches don't even believe in the five ministry callings. The apostle, the prophet, the pastor, the evangelist, and the teacher. There are many churches that only believe that the pastor is still around. But we've made a commitment to seeing all of the ministry gifts operate in the local church. 
That way we're not dominated by just one ministry gift. We don't see it just through the, the, the glasses of, of a pastor. Because you know what? That person that's right across from us who may have a prophetic gifting, may have an apostolic gifting, they're going to see some things that we don't see. And we need to be open to what they're seeing. That makes us a whole body. And this is just some simple ways that it, that it may work. The evangelist draws people in. The teachers impart truth that, that bring freedom. The apostles build processes that help ensure a strong foundation. The, uh, the prophets keep us focused on Jesus. And the pastors make sure everybody's taken care of. And we're leaning into these things. We've started just this month, we've started We've started just this month with our shepherds. If you are a member of New Covenant Church, you have been assigned a shepherd. They may have already contacted you. They may not because this is just the first month. We're getting some things rolling. But these are the people in our church where there's five couples with such pastoral hearts. They're saying, I just want to connect with people. I just want to love people. I just want to talk to them, make sure they're okay. Those are pastors. Those are shepherds being who God created them to be. So we've just started that. We have outreach and evangelism. There was a day when I was the youth pastor that the outreach of, of New Covenant was mostly the youth group, and we just invited the, the adults to go along with us. Our outreach now has grown, and, and, it's, and, and it's bigger. Our missions has grown, and, it, and it's bigger. But we have some people that just have the heart to say, I just want to go out and I just want to do some street evangelism. I just want to pull some people in. And that's the heart of the evangelist. Our first service. Everybody's wondering what happened to the first service. We suspended the 930 service for a while. And it wasn't just because we didn't have people coming. It was because we believe that the Lord is giving us a new way of doing that service. It's not just going to be a mirror of this service. It's truly going to be something where we are pursuing the presence of God. It's not about the, the, the preaching and the teaching. It's about, it's about worship, it's about prayer, and it's about prophetic declaration. That's unique. Because there's not a lot of, a lot of churches that are going to give up a whole service just to pursue the presence of God. But that's what the Lord is asking us to do. And we're going to do that. And here's kind of the last thing um, right here. Is I believe that we have a, a commitment to racial diversity. According to Wikipedia, which we know is always right. According to Wikipedia, in 2018... Uh, the racial makeup of Tyler, Texas was 49% white, 23% Hispanic, 22% black, 6% other or mixed race. If we're going to call ourselves a, 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 a multi-ethnic church, we need to look like what our community looks like. So that's something we need to pray about, press into. That's part of the mission. We have to be we have to be connected to the mission because what we don't want to be is just a white church where other people feel comfortable. 
We want to truly be a multi-ethnic church. And talk is cheap. You know, uh, a mission... A mission statement can be written on a piece of paper. It can be painted on a wall. It can be broken down into a cool phrase. But it doesn't live on paper. It's got to live in the hearts of people. And it has to be alive for those of us that are carrying out the mission of New Covenant Church. All right. Here's our last point. Back to Luke 9. Verse 61, and another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus told him, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. So here's the last. We need to connect with the process. Jesus was saying there's a process. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Don't look back. Look higher because God is calling us higher. We do not need to be the remember when people. Remember when we used to do this? Remember when we used to have potlucks over there at the other church? Yeah, they were good, but we don't have room for them here. Remember when our, our, uh, our time when we're greeting everybody, used to last for like 15 or 20 minutes, and, and it would just go on forever. And, you know, certain people felt really, really good about that because they got to talk to everybody. Well, we don't have time for that anymore. We cannot be the remember when people. Remember when. I've talked to, to old preachers, and they say, you remember when America was a godly country? <laughs> we can't be the remember when people. It's not that bad things happened back then. But the enemy of the future is quite often the past. We don't want to live in the past. We thank God for the past. Thank, thank you, Lord, for the great things that you did in the past. But we're not going to let our past keep us from being who God is calling us to be in the future. Philippians 3, verse 13, second part of the scripture there. It says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what lays behind. Forget about it and push forward. Think about the Israelites when um, the Lord set them free from slavery and bondage. And then they started complaining. For 400 years they had been slaves. The Lord sends Moses. They get set free. As soon as they get away from Egypt, they start complaining about what they don't have. What we used to have. Oh, remember when we were in Egypt? Remember when we had this? Remember when we had that? The problem is they were longing for the familiar. The process, if we're committing to the process, we have to understand that it's going to stretch us because it doesn't cling to the familiar. There's going to be growing pains. When we're stretching to be everything that God has called us to be, there's going to be growing pains. Anybody remember growing pains when you were a kid? Weren't they fun? Everybody loved growing pains. Let me tell you a little story about my youngest daughter. 
I wasn't even thinking about this until she started going, don't do that. <laughs> when she was young and she used to become ill, uh, she had everything under the sun, obviously, because she, she would start saying, well, what's the matter, baby? She goes, oh, my head hurts. My tummy hurts. I can't breathe. And I have growing pains. So everything hurts, so no matter what it was. So to this day, all these years later, every time you know, somebody in the family doesn't feel good, you, we'll ask each other, well, what, what's wrong? I have growing pains. So thank you, Hannah, for having growing pains. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> the process may take longer than we think it should take. Yeah, I don't like that because if you know me, I got the idea today, we should already have it fully in motion by tomorrow. Why are we wasting so much time? Why is this not working? But it takes longer. Why? Because the Lord is working on our character. He's removing some selfish motives, and he's polishing us so we'll reflect the image of Jesus. Abraham was told to leave the land that he knew, the familiar And he was told to go someplace that he had never seen. I don't know what all of this is supposed to look like. I wish I had all of the answers. I wish I had all kinds of charts and things that I could put up here. This is what it's going to look like. This is how it's going to work. I don't know all of this yet. All I know is God saying, go this direction. Go this direction. And it's a place that that we've never been before. It's a place I've never been before. And it's a place that I'm not seeing lots of other people going. So we just have to do what the Lord is telling us to do. One of the things that we're doing is we're creating a a discipleship process. And a lot of discipleship in churches is great stuff, but it's really just, hey, memorize the books of the Bible. You know, here's some, here's some, some verses that you can read if you're having a hard time. And and I'm not saying that you don't grow in your faith. But I believe discipleship is supposed to take you beyond just knowing the Word and living the Word. And we live the Word when we recognize that each and every one of us that have come into this relationship with Jesus Christ, we have gifts, we have callings. It's not just the people that stand on stage. It's each and every one of us fill a place, have a role. So the discipleship process that we're working on is going to take us to the end where you know who you are in Christ Jesus, where you know what you've been called to do, where you're being equipped to do it and you're being given an opportunity to do it. That is discipleship. Because the kingdom is not being served if you're not being equipped. So I'm asking you to put your hand to the plow I'm asking you to connect. I'm asking you to commit. Has anybody ever heard someone refer to when you're signing a document or signing your name, somebody say, hey, put your John Hancock on this. That is a a uniquely American expression. And why John Hancock? Because of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, his stands out. He wrote it big. He wrote it bold. He wrote it very legibly. And you know why? 
He said that he wanted the king of England to be able to read it without his glasses. (laughs) What he was really doing is he was making a commitment to his new country. He was saying, I'm connected here. Because if you, if, if, you, if you read about John Hancock, he was a very, very wealthy man, had made a lot, a lot of money being connected with England. And he was saying, I'm willing to lose it all. So what I'm asking you to do is be like John Hancock. The enemy won't like it. King George didn't like it. You know, there was a time during the American Revolution where King George said, I will give amnesty to everybody that will lay down their weapons and stop this rebellion. But you know, who was not included in that? John Hancock. So what I'm asking you this morning, spiritually speaking, is to put your John Hancock on this vision that the Lord is giving us. I'm asking you to connect with the mission, with the process, understanding it might cost us something. Remember the scripture there in Habakkuk 2. We read it earlier. I'm going to just read the verse 3 here. For still the vision awaits It's appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. There's a lot of things that we've talked about around New Covenant Church for many, many years, and it has seemed slow at times. But we're to wait for it because it surely will come. God has made us a lot of promises. God has prophesied a lot of things over this house. God has given us a lot of vision in this house. There are some real dreamers in this house. And God intends to fulfill it all. Some of it's like that stuff that that we put on a shelf for a while. And that may be even the way it is in your life. Well, you know, there was a time when I felt called to ministry. There was a time when I, when I, when I was very, very passionate about this. There was a time when, when this was going on. But I just don't have that anymore. It's time to take it off the shelf. Because God's calling you out. God's calling you higher. Connecting with God's game plan, his vision and mission for your life and for NCC ensures that we're not just having pep rallies on Sunday morning and then losing the game on Mondays. Romans 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors through him. More than conquerors through him. So what do I want you to know? God has given NCC a unique place in his kingdom. It's not better than other churches, but it's unique. It's different. It's so we can fulfill his call and his purposes for us. What do I want you to feel? I hope that something I've said this morning stirs a little bit of excitement in you. A little bit of anticipation for God's sovereign plan for NCC to come to fruition. 
And what do I want you to do? I want you to connect. I want you to connect with the cause, connect with the mission, and connect with the process. I want you to put your hand to the plow with us and not look back. Because what God is getting ready to do is going to astound all of us.